God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather together and worship you. We're thankful for the space where we can kind of unplug from the expectations people put on us, the demands we feel on our lives, the to-do list that's constantly running in our minds and hearts, and we can actually break and just focus on you. We need space like this. We need you to interrupt our agendas and our schedules and our, all the craziness that we chase. We need you to show us yourself this morning. I pray that this message from your word would be an encouragement to some people, um, that it would give strength to some people, maybe even challenge a few people, that ultimately your will would be done in these moments as we connect our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for that, Scott. That's good. Uh, S- S- New Year, Same You is the is title of the series. In the first week, we talked about how um, S- Same You, Bigger God. And uh, we're looking at each week talking about how maybe you're not the answer <laughs> to like having the best year yet. I- I- we've tried that whole deal, and it's come up short so many times. The, the series kind of looks at this concept because I, I, I'm so tired, I've done it, and I apologize if you've been here when I've done it. Like, we get all excited about a new year. We're like, man, this year's gonna be the best year, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like pick myself up. I'm gonna be more committed. I'm gonna be more disciplined. I'm gonna get it right this time. And then a couple weeks or months later, we're back in the same old mess that we've always been in. And the question I've been asking myself is, what if the key to my best year yet, what if experience a better 2023 than, than I've had in a while, what if that isn't about me doing me better? What if there's something else, something bigger than me, something that'll, that'll last? And, and so we've been looking and saying, like, you might not be, you're, you're probably not the answer to your best year yet. We need something else. Week one, we said, um, same you, bigger God. Oh, how we box God in and we, we don't see God as a, as a big God who can do so many things. And, and then last week, um, Josh, intern Josh, although he's not our intern anymore, was back from break and I asked him if he wanted to preach and he, he preached an incredible message, same you, more grace. We looked at the grace of God and how much we depend on it and need it and how it fills in all the gaps in our lives. And Josh did an awesome job. Today, uh, the title of the message is called Same You Because You'll, You Are Enough. Now, I've preached messages about being enough before. And I gotta tell you, I don't, I don't think I've captured the full picture. Something has always been unsettled in me as I've thought about this topic and so I pushed deep into this this week and last week, and I think what I have for you is something really encouraging and maybe a little real, and hopefully you can handle that this morning as we jump in and look at the question, are you, are, are you enough? I want to start just by reading a, a couple verses about a guy we'll talk about throughout the passage this morning. The guy's name was Gideon, and, and the verses I want to read are found in Judges chapter 6. Gideon was a guy who, man, who's really, really like on the struggle bus for real. And he lived in a time and place where 
his nation, the nation of Israel, was being oppressed and attacked by this group called the Midianites. Things got so bad for the Israelites that they were hiding in the hills and they would have to farm secretly in little gardens so they would have enough to eat because anytime the Midianites caught them farming or doing something, they'd come wipe them out and steal all their crops and burn down their villages and not like an ideal start to life. This passage picks up It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. The very first look at Gideon has this guy hiding in fear, gardening, just to get enough food for him and maybe his family to eat. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon replies, he's like, if you're with us, why has all this happened to us? It's a pretty reasonable question. Where are all the wonders and the the signs that you showed our ancestors? We're not seeing that now. You, You brought us out of Egypt, but you've abandoned us. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have, because you always have more strength than you account for. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now this is the part that gets really interesting about Gideon. He says, pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I wonder what his internal dialogue was like. You're faced with this big challenge, task. I mean, you have this fearful, cowardly dude who's farming, hidden away in a wine press, just trying to survive and get by one day at a time. And his view of himself is, you shouldn't pick me. I'm the worst person in my family. My family is the worst person family in our tribe. My tribe is the worst tribe in the country. (laughs) I wonder what his internal dialogue, I mean, that is not a real good, healthy self-esteem. He's like, you can't be serious. This God has lost his mind. I'm the worst, literally the worst person you could pick. I wonder what his internal dialogue was like that landed him in the space where he was so convinced that he was nothing, that an angel of God couldn't even convince him otherwise. If your internal dialogue was put out there for everybody to see, I think the people next to you would probably scoot away just a hair or two, right? You ever, like, I mean, seriously, if the thoughts that we had running around in our head, our internal dialogue was laid out for everybody to see, how embarrassing that would be, the, the things we think that we know we shouldn't say out loud, the things we think about us and others that we know are just way off, but yet we roll it around in our heads as if they are true. And, and I gotta tell you, my internal dialogue some, a lot of times sounds like this. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Have you ever said that? 
I mean, I feel like I say it a lot. Sometimes it's kind of silly, and sometimes it's pretty serious. Just a couple weeks ago, we had our Christmas Eve service at Schuylkill Haven's Whirling Auditorium. Some of you, a lot of you were probably there. And man, I, I, I got to tell you, like, as far as Christmas Eve services have gone, we've done those big services with tons of people a lot. And this one, though, it just felt special to me. Man, the kids were having fun. Everybody was, it was just so much joy. And um, it was just an amazing service. I remember after everybody had kind of cleared out, the team was left there um, picking up and tearing down stuff. And while you guys were all eating cookies and having tea or meatloaf or whatever you do on Christmas Eve, I don't know where meatloaf came from. I'm a little hungry. We were tearing stuff down and packing it up and, and uh, getting ready to come back here. And uh, I, we were just, I was just thinking that whole time, like, man, this was the best Christmas Eve. Like, I just felt so encouraged. I just felt so much joy. I was so excited. It felt so, like, spiritual. And I was able to get away from just doing stuff, which sometimes happens to me, to actually, like, worship myself and connect with God. It was really a meaningful time. I remember telling the guys that as we packed up and left, and it was pretty late, freezing out. There wasn't a car in Schuylkill Haven, and I came down to that crazy intersection coming through Main Street. You know the one I'm talking about, the one where nobody turns their turn signals on soon enough? Like, you, you kind of, like, got to pull out and then pull out and then pull out and then go for it or not, you know? I felt pretty confident because everybody was gone, the streets were empty, it was Christmas Eve, yet as I pulled up to that stop sign heading down through town, I saw this car pulling up and I thought, man, I'm just going to wait and make sure they don't, the last thing I need to do is get in a car accident Christmas Eve. And uh, so I waited and I waited and they didn't turn their turn signal on and that, that seemed like way too late for them to think about turning. So I decided I'm gonna go for it and as I decided I was gonna go for it, they flicked on their turn signal and they decided they were gonna go for it. And after the screeching of tires, there we were sitting like next to each other in that intersection. We didn't have an accident, thank God for that. Uh, but there we were sitting there and there I am screaming my head off at this, these punk kids <laughs> who don't know how to use a turn signal. I'm yelling, I don't remember what I yelled, and if I remembered what I yelled, there's a high chance I'm not gonna tell you what I was yelling. But if it wasn't negative five degrees out, my windows would have been down. So here I am in the middle of Haven, right after having this beautiful spiritual moment, after just preaching about baby Jesus and the hope he could give, there I am in Schuylkill Haven, screaming at some kids with veins popping out of my neck, like ready to roll. And as I rolled past the intersection, I thought, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? <laughs> That's a question that rolls around in my internal dialogue. Sometimes it's when I'm just ridiculous like that, but sometimes it's a little more serious. It's a question that rolls around in my head when I, when I realize that I can't, I can't do what I'm supposed to do or what I think I should do or I can't do it as good as I want to. That's the question that rolls around in my head. What's wrong with me? I make a mistake parenting because all parents make mistakes. That's the question that rolls around in my head. What's wrong with me? I'm not the kind of husband I, I want to be or should be. It's the question that rolls around and I, when I'm not the pastor I want to be. 
And the sermons don't go the way I want them to go. That's the question that rolls around in my head, like lives rent-free. What's wrong with me? It's serious and uh, hurtful. And I know the answer to that question. What's wrong with me when I can't? When I fail? When I mess up? What's wrong? I know the answer. The answer is, deep down, I believe that I'm just inadequate as a person. I'm not enough. And that belief is one that maybe you would not embrace out loud. But I guarantee you, a whole lot of us wrestle with it. I'm not enough. We look out at life's challenges, struggles, wrestling our own demons, look out at problems in our relationships, in our marriages, in our friendships, at work. We look at the challenges that maybe we have to deal with with our health or our finances. We hear what other people say and we compare our life to theirs and what we think to what they think and our unfiltered experiences to their filtered best experiences. We, we compare it all and, and, and there this belief starts to settle in in our hearts that says, I'm not enough. That's what's wrong with me. And that belief is the root of a whole lot of really deep pain. It's the root of a whole lot of addiction trying to cover up the pain. It's the root of a whole lot of searching and seeking to feel good in stuff that is not good for us. It's this belief that I'm not enough. I'm encouraged when I read my Bible because even though I think that about myself and I also see it in others, and people in the, in the Bible. It's one of those things, it's not that hard to read in other people. We just don't pay attention. But people that are struggling with this feeling like they're, they're never enough, you can kind of hear it in what they say if you're really paying attention. You can see it in how they live and how they walk. You can even read it in their body language sometimes. And, and I read it throughout the Bible in some of the most famous characters there are. Moses, for instance. He was this guy who was on the lamb because he had murdered an Egyptian soldier and he was, he was running from his old life and his mistakes, his past. He's out in the desert taking care of a, a flock of sheep for crying out loud and God meets him in this burning bush. Maybe you've heard the story in Exodus chapter three. And God lays this out for him. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You're gonna walk the Israelites out of the bondage and slavery that uh, they're in, and just to paraphrase, you can read it yourself in the book of Exodus, but Moses is like, are you crazy? He doesn't say it right like that, but you can read between the lines. Who are you? You got the wrong guy. A murder, he's probably, a murder to dude, I'm hiding out in the desert, I'm a shepherd for crying out loud. You, you, you can't be serious, you, you can't have, you can't be Picking me. There's got to be somebody else, anybody else. I'm not enough. What, what if they don't believe me when I tell them? Why would they believe me when I tell them that you're sending me to free them? What am I supposed to say? And, and by the way, I'm not even good at talking. I can't communicate to a bunch of people. Like, you got the wrong. I'm not enough. Gideon. 
the worst person. What screams out in that message is his feeling of inadequacy, his belief so ingrained that who, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm the worst. I'm the least of the nobodies. Why would you pick somebody like me? I can't do this. I'm not enough. I don't, I'm not even close to enough. Yet somehow, these characters, as they led God's people to freedom through all kinds of sorts of crazy, crazy challenges, somehow, these people who were so wrapped around the belief of their own inadequacy, feelings of, I'm not enough, defining who they thought they were, somehow, they were enough. And I'm left asking, maybe you too, am I? Am I enough? Are you enough? The answer is a bit of a paradox. I've missed this before, for which I apologize. The answer is a bit of a paradox that they kind of falls into two parts. And so I really need you to bear with me through the first part of this. Because the first part of the answer to the question, am I enough, is of course not. Of course not. You're human, just like I am. And life is full of pain and crazy challenges and disappointment. We are well aware of our weakness. You are a human just like I am. So when you're thinking about the biggest challenges of your life and the greatest obstacles you're going to have to overcome, there's some level of this where we have to acknowledge, I'm not enough, and that's okay. I was sitting with my counselor, having a conversation, talking about life, and uh, if you have a problem with a pastor who goes to a counselor, you're in the wrong church. Um, <laughs> I was, I was talking to my counselor, and at one point we were just talking about some stuff I had been going through and feeling and unpacking, and I was like, you know, I'm just so afraid I'm not the dad I, I, I want to be. I'm not a good enough dad. I made these mistakes. I wish I would have done this stuff differently, and I feel like a, a failure as a dad. And he looked at me, and he said, that's because you are. And I said, that sounds like terrible therapy. Where did you get your degree? The University of Arizona Samoa Online? Like, did it cost you like a whole $5? Did they even give you any paperwork? Did you buy a textbook and read it? You're the worst therapist I ever had. <laughs> he's, he's like, come on, man. Of course you failed your kids. And it's okay. Of course you didn't always say the right thing. It's okay. Your parents, you've told me all about your parents. You talk about them like they were great parents. Did they ever say anything hurtful to you? I'm like, yeah. Did they ever disappoint you? Yeah. Did they ever break a promise? Yeah. Are you okay? I'm okay. 
You're human, man, and it's okay that you are not enough, that you don't feel like you are enough when you're facing these tasks and these challenges, when you want to be a better husband or wife or kid or parent or grandparent, and you feel inadequate, that's okay. Because on one hand, while you are not enough, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 14. You are precious in God's sight. Isaiah 43 4. As Luke 12, 6 through 7, Jesus teaches us, you are intimately known and valued by God. You are made in his image, Genesis 1. 27, you were bought with a price, and that price was his son. 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you are not forgotten, and you never will be forgotten by the God of the universe. Isaiah 49, 15, he delights in you. Zephaniah 3, 17. You're human just like me, just like them. So on one hand, you aren't enough, but you are worth so, so much, and your life is so, so important. Here's the part two to the answer of the question, am I enough? Are you enough? The part one is, of course you're not, and the part two is, of course you are. I told you it was part of a paradox. With faith added to the equation of your life through Christ, of course, child of God, you are enough for whatever lies ahead. That's how Moses was able to lead a nation to freedom. That's how Gideon was able to defeat all of those Midianites who had ransacked their land and their people for so long. I mean, Gideon, the story goes, and you can read it, and we don't have time to read it this morning, but in Judges chapter 6 and verse 7, I don't know if you know this, but like Gideon, he uh, has 32,000 people gathered together to fight the Midianites. It was a small army in comparison, but at least it was an army. And God said, that's too much. He runs Gideon and his men through a series of tests to eliminate people and they have to drink water from the stream and eventually, long story short, 32,000 people are whittled down to 300 and God says, that's enough. And by the way, here's what you're gonna fight with. A torch, some pottery, and a horn. You read that story and you will never look at a marching band the same again. I look at the marching band my kids are in and I'm like, oh yeah, those hats are weird, but they could whoop some people. (laughs) They surround the army of the Midianites as they're camping. It was hardly enough to even make the surrounding work. They were spread out. They took their thing, and at Gideon's signal, they smashed the pots, they put up the torches, and they sounded the drums, the trumpets, and the Midianites, they screamed out in panic, and chaos ensued, and God routes the entire army, and Gideon and his men are just cleaning up 
what's left over. Because what you bring God is always enough. Because what he will do in you and through you is enough to make up for the gaps of your insufficiencies. What he can do in you and through you is enough for those areas of your life where you are well acquainted with the feeling of, I'm not enough. What you bring him is always enough. It may be impossible for you on your own. You may be facing down some impossible challenges and tasks. Even the disciples said to Jesus after a pretty tough teaching, that's, that's impossible. And Jesus said back to them, yeah, in Matthew chapter 19, he said, yeah, that is impossible for man, but with God all things are possible. In John chapter six, we have this beautiful picture of how what you bring him is enough and how your faith is enough to let God do through you what you can't do on your own. Jesus was, had crossed the Sea of Galilee and he, he had been doing ministry with his disciples and he had recently just sent them out two by two to do ministry. It probably had been a pretty exhausting run for everybody in Jesus' team. And uh, so they were going to cross the Sea of Galilee and go up into the mountains where the disciples knew when this usually happened, it was to pray and to get away and to have a little break and Jesus would go connect with his father. Disciples would get a little me time with Jesus. They'd hang out, kind of huddle up regroup and prepare for the next kind of long leg of doing ministry and helping people. They go across the sea and uh, Jesus is taking his disciples up there. There's a problem this time because it's large crowd. And when I say large crowd, it's like crazy large crowd. Maybe you've heard this story. It's often called the feeding of the 5,000, but it's not actually a good representation of what was going down because it was 5,000 men they didn't count the women and the children. Don't yell at me. It's just the culture that they were in. When you take a reasonable multiplier, you're talking about over 10,000 people. That's how big the crowd is following Jesus and his disciples. Disciples had had it. They're tired. They're hangry. They're feeling maybe like you're feeling right now. Like, all right, enough. Let's get on with this. Can we move and go get some lunch? Like, I've had it with these people. Just get me out of here. Jesus, he has the whole crowd. They're, they're coming around him. And he has this absolutely incredible interaction with Philip and this guy named Andrew. Now, this is what I want to, we're not going to do the whole story. I want to just focus on Philip and Andrew. It says that Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, and he said to Philip, this is one of his disciples, he said to Philip, what, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? <laughs> 10,000 people. Man, this isn't like your weird Uncle Henry shows up at Thanksgiving uninvited. <laughs> it's not like, oh, man, there's going to be less leftovers, Right? It says Jesus asked him only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answers and said, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one. I love Philip's 
like drilling in the point here. He's like, in case you're gonna miss this, Jesus, it would take half a year's wages for us to just give one little bite to everybody here. You're crazy is what you can read between the lines. That ain't happening. There's no way. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. How about we just send them away and go find some lunch for ourselves? You're talking crazy. How quickly he forgot who he was talking to. Philip was well aware of his inadequacy inadequacy. He didn't have enough. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough to do it. It was an impossible task. They didn't have enough to get through it. They, they just didn't have enough, period. So for Philip, end of conversation. I'm not enough. We don't have enough. But while Philip was having this little discussion with Jesus, there's this guy named Andrew. Now, Andrew is the guy who you like Somebody name drops to you, and you're like, do you know Andrew? And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, I can tell by your face. You have no idea who you're talking about. No, that guy. I know that guy. And they're like, no, you don't know that guy. Andrew is Peter's brother. And then you're like, oh, yeah. And like, you know people in life like that, right? Like, he's, he's so, his story is so small. This written, this is first century written. People knew people, right? Like, so, so this is written of people who would have known these characters, and they're like, yo, Andrew, oh, you probably forgot. He's one of the disciples. Oh, you don't remember. Okay, well, maybe you know Peter. You know Peter? Yeah, that guy's brother. That's how insignificant. But while Philip and Jesus are having this conversation, Andrew does something actually pretty incredible. He takes a little stroll and he finds some kid with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. It's probably enough for his own lunch. Maybe he had a really good day fishing and he'd take a little extra home, show off his catch. I don't know how far he walked, but he had to wander around a little bit. And instead of going and seeing this kid and being like, that's not enough, is there a barrel of barley, a kegger of wine hidden somewhere around here? Like maybe, instead of doing that, Andrew takes this kid, his small amount of fish, his barley loaves, and he takes what is not enough and puts it in the right place. You're not enough. Maybe you don't have enough. But if you bring it and put it in the right place, it's enough. And that right place is in front of Jesus. Yeah, you don't have enough to fix your marriage, but you could, in faith, bring that to Jesus and be like, I don't know what to do with this, but it's yours, I'll give it to you. Maybe your life has been a train wreck and you feel like it's just ruined, but you could bring your life to Jesus and you could say, you could take the not enough in your life and just bring it to the right space and be like, God, I don't think you could use me. I don't think you could do anything through me. I think I messed it all up. I think my mistakes are too great, but here it is. It's not enough. But I'm bringing it to the right place, to you. Maybe you feel like your purpose is 
non-existent. Your heart is too broken. You're not smart enough. You don't know what to do about the future challenges that you're facing. But if you took what you had and you bring it to Jesus, he will make it enough. You're not enough is always enough in his hands. Before we get too carried away, Andrew doesn't do this with epic fashion. (laughs) He literally brings it to Jesus and he says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? A step of faith to bring your not enough to Jesus, even if you are skeptical, is enough for him to work with. What you bring him is enough. And your faith, even small and weak and struggling to see what God could do through you or in you, your faith is enough for him to do in you and through you more than you ever thought of asking for more you could have ever imagined. His grace is enough. His power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, resides in you. It's enough. His purpose for you is enough for you. I don't know what your internal dialogue is or what you've been wrestling with, but if you've been wrestling with the question of what's wrong with me, I'm just not enough for whatever it is that you have to face. You gotta know on one hand, you're not enough and it's okay. On the other hand, through faith and what Christ will do in your heart and with what you bring him, you are way more than enough. Just keep bringing what you have before him. Keep an open hand and offer it to him and watch what he does in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you and your wisdom choose people just like us to do what by human standards is absolutely impossible. But we know you are big God. You are sovereign. And that there's nothing that is impossible for you. I pray... There's people listening and that feel so inadequate, feel like they're not enough. I pray that they would rest in you. The truth that in you they are enough. That through you they have enough for whatever they have to walk through this year. So thankful for the comfort and the strength and the confidence that brings. It's a confidence not placed in ourselves, but one that is placed smartly and securely in you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.